ignition sequence start. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. Welcome to Ignition, a radio show and podcast for the new evangelization. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Bergwald, and we want to launch your own efforts to explain the Catholic faith and to invite others to live it. Before we get into today's topic, we want you to know that we love listener feedback. So if you've got questions about today's episode, or if you've got ideas for future episodes, please contact us. There are two easy ways to do so. You can reach out by carrier pigeon or telegraph the address. No. Smoke signals. Uh, you can email us, ignition at sfcatholic.com. Org, or you can tweet at us. The Twitter handle is at SFDiocese and use the hashtag ignition and your tweet will get properly routed. My name is Dr. Chris Bergwald. I am the director of adult discipleship and evangelization with the Diocese of Sioux Falls. Uh, my wife, Jermaine, and I have been married for 19 years as of this recording. We have five kids. Um, we make our home in eastern Sioux Falls. And the voice you heard earlier is not my uh, acting chops at work. Uh, I have somebody across the desk from me, from the table, across the table from me today, Father Joseph Schulten. Welcome, Father. Thank you. Would you mind introducing yourself to our listeners? I am... Father Joseph Schulten, a priest for the Diocese of Sioux Falls, have been a priest for a little over a year at the, uh, the vicar, the sidekick priest, the as vicar. I like to say, the vicar at uh, at St. Lambert Parish. And we're happy to have you. That's that's, a, that's my parish. That's not the reason you're on the, the show, just to be clear. It's not, I don't just pick you because you're from the it's parish that I attend. Ex officio. Like it's not any. <laughs> <laughs> the sidekick priest at the sidekick priest Saint Lambert must be on it. No, helps no, out. No, uh, no, no. So, uh, Father, you and I have been talking for several of the last, no, for the last several episodes that you and I have recorded on Ignition. We've been talking about Dr. Brant Petrie's book, which I've often described as fantastic because it is the case for Jesus. Uh, Father, what's this book about, and what have we said about it thus far in this series? That's right. So. So Brant Petrie wrote a book called The Case for Jesus, and you all should read it because it's great. Amen. Uh, at least if you want to understand better the Gospels, if you want to understand better the, the figure of Jesus, um, who he claimed to be, who he is. And, and uh, so Brant Petrie wrote this book to show that the Gospels are, are reliable historical accounts uh, dating to um, the very earliest Christian uh, decades and make the claim that Jesus is the Son of God. And they they do that um, by highlighting both things that Jesus did and things that he said. And, uh, and we covered in the last episode a few actions of Jesus or gestures of Jesus that, that give a, a clue as to his, his divine identity, that he's something more than a man, that he actually belongs to God himself. Um, and this episode... We're hoping to get into some things that Jesus said that point to his his divine identity. Um, this is kind of a question because, as you know, uh, that divine identity has been questioned and and uh, and even denied by by some scholarship. Um, I don't know if you want to say anything about that or the the objections that some people have. Well, I think that's part of because I, I was going to ask you, but this. I can answer the question myself, I guess. Why did Dr. Petrie write this book at this particular time? And I think it's it's for the reason that you're alluding to right there. There are a lot of 
biblical scholars today, um, not the majority, certainly, but many of them who really are experts on the biblical languages. They're experts on uh, biblical archaeology. They're experts on Jewish history and so on. And and some of them deny that Jesus was God. And and frankly, this has been troubling to many um, many Christians because um, we read these experts, we read these scholars, and they deny that Jesus was God. They even, they, they even deny that he claims to be God. Mm-hmm. So Dr. Petrie, of course, representing the traditional Christian belief, um, is wants to say, no, I, I, yes, I acknowledge, he, he does. Uh, he acknowledges the expertise, uh, the reality that these are learned men um, who who make these claims, but the reality is a fair reading, an accurate reading of the Gospels um, is in support of the traditional Christian claim. In fact, the traditional Christian claim f- comes from an accurate reading of the Gospels. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so just to be clear here, um, we're not, while we believe that Jesus was and is God, um, we can't prove that through scriptural scholarship. Right. Right. You right. can't prove the divinity of this man by putting him under a microscope. That's not a historical claim. Um, but did he claim to be God? Did he say he was God? That's a historical claim. You know, either he said it or he didn't. Right. Either he made this this uh, this incredible claim about himself or he didn't make it and and other people have have embellished and made that up later that's yep. a, that's a historical question yep. and that's what uh, petrie looks at this through a historical lens and uh, and we're going to argue that jesus did in fact claim to be divine he claimed to be god's son divine himself and he did so in a particularly jewish way okay you know um if we're going to you know if we're going to try to speak to our culture, we're going to do that in terms that our culture can understand, right? Okay. Yep. Um, advertisers know this really well. You got to speak to the people that you're you're uh, trying to address. Well, Jesus addressed his audience, who was which was primarily Jewish in the first century, in terms that they could understand you right. know, by making reference to Jewish scriptures by. Um, by reference, by deeds and words that reference the Old Testament, that would that would remind his listeners of of things that uh, that they had read or heard about, and so lead them to the recognition that he uh, himself was claiming to be divine. Right? It's sort of like a sort of like a crossword puzzle. You know, um, as you look at the clues in a crossword puzzle, you 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 put them together, and then you recognize, oh, this fits, and you figure out what what it's referring to, um, and you can fill in that word. Well, Jesus gives clues to allow people gradually to to realize, to come to that aha moment of faith and recognize, oh, this man is is claiming something extraordinary. Well, Father, why why does he why does he drop clues and just sort of saying, surprise, it's me? Right. Why does he right. do that? You know the truth that. Uh, that he's really God is something so great that that even Jesus could only lead people to gradually. Okay, that's what uh, Pope Benedict says anyway in his book Jesus of Nazareth. That that when you think about it, it's an incredible, almost unbelievable claim. 
you know, that, that a man of flesh and blood that you could look in the face, a man whose, whose parents you might know, uh, a man you could have grown up with, like that that man could, could somehow be the divine creator of all things. It's, it's, it's mind-blowing. And Jesus, I think, gets that it's not, uh, not an easy thing. Right. Um, it's pretty hard. And even, you know, even people of goodwill, people with, who, who want to follow him and, and say they're going to give their lives to him, even his closest disciples, they really struggle to accept this and, and grasp the significance and, um, of who he is and who he's, who he's claiming to be. You know, that's why God... We've talked about the the divine pedagogy. Why God uses uh, takes a long time to reveal Himself to humanity, and and why He first calls one man Abraham, and then and then that grows into a tribe, and then twelve tribes, and a nation, uh, and through that all, God is is revealing Himself. He's uh, showing more and more of who He is and how He is to prepare them for this this closest union with Him that takes place in Jesus. But God's got to lead up to it because it's right. pretty baffling. Right, right. I, and I think we today, after 21 centuries nearly of Christianity, we just take for, oh, he, oh Jesus is God made, the word made flesh, God, the God man. Da, 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 da. But it, yeah, if you, if you put yourself back at that time, what's the most effective way to convey this truth is not by the instant surprise, it's me, but by this slow reveal, if you will. Exactly. Okay, okay. Exactly. So in this episode, Father, you said we're going to be looking at some of the things that through Jesus' his words, last time was the deeds, now is the words, right, that reveal yep. that he is claiming to be God, Exactly. Right? Okay. Exactly. Okay. So the first uh, first thing I'd like to look at is Mark 2, and the, there's, this account is in uh, other places in the Gospels as well, but, but Mark 2 describes that great scene where... Uh, where the friends bring their their paralyzed buddy to Jesus, and every it's so crowded in the house where Jesus is mm, teaching yep. that they decide they're just going to tear a hole in the roof, right. and lower him down. Like awesome! I don't see any problems with this scenario. <laughs> so they do, right? They're great friends. They're 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 very insistent and persistent. They tear a hole in the roof. They're lowering their buddy down. I don't know what he's thinking in the midst of all this, but I kind of like it. It's just the guy. It's just the, the, yeah, amazing. You consider like this paralyzed guy being lowered down and. Um, anyway, he gets, he's landed there right plop in front of Jesus. First father, can I just, can, can you, before the lowering down, obviously he had to get on top of the roof to begin with. So yeah, think so about this that. was like a whole operation. Okay. So, okay. So it's, Chris, we're going to lift you up onto the roof. Like, That's great. what are you doing? Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and, and I don't know. I mean, he's paralyzed. Maybe he can talk. Maybe he can't, but like, who knows what's going through his mind. Right. His crazy buddies are, are like, no, no, just trust us. It's yeah. going to be great. <laughs> And good thing he did because uh, because it is great. And then we get this we get this amazing um, not only miracle but then the the response the the words of Jesus as well. And that's okay. what I want to focus on. Okay. okay, so he's plopped down in front of Jesus in this crowded house. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, "This is Mark two. My son, your sins are forgiven." Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts. Why does this man speak thus? It is blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question thus in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your pallet, and walk? 
But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, take up your pallet, and go home. And of course it goes on. And he does just that. He He's cured. Um, and of course the miracle is amazing, and that's what would have grabbed most people's attention as they see this. But, but notice what Jesus says. The first thing he says is this guy's plopped in front of him is your sins are forgiven. Mm-hmm. Why would he say that? How could he say that? So sin, sin is an offense against God, first and foremost. You know, sin hurts our relationship with our neighbor and ourselves and creation. But first and foremost in the scriptures, sin is, is disobedience to God. Right. Right? So Jesus presumes to be able to forgive that, to pardon it. Right. Um, there's nothing like this in any part of the Old Testament where one man says to another man, your sins are forgiven. You know? There are places where, you know, where prophets will say, God has forgiven your sin, but he just, without reference to God, he says, your sins are forgiven. He presumes the authority to say that. Okay. And, uh, and the, the people listening, certain people listening there, uh, grasp that this is an, an audacious claim, right? Some of the scribes, why does this man speak thus? It is blasphemy. What's blasphemy? What's this? It's the offense of, of, of claiming to be God. It's, it's uh, speaking against God. It's uh, a presumption that offends God. Um, Hero Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one, right? So Israel, faithful Jews would pray that every day. Um, and then the scribes, they say, who can forgive sins but the one God? So there's only one God. Right. Who could? Who are you, Jesus right. of Nazareth, saying this man's sins are forgiven? Right. And so this episode really shows how, how Jesus takes on this divine prerogative of forgiving sins. He's giving them a hint, a clue, like the crossword puzzle, pointing to who he truly is. If he's not God, then what he's doing here is blasphemy. But if he is, then then something amazing is happening in that crowded house. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Ignition. This is a broadcast for the new evangelization. Father Joseph Schulten and I, Dr. Chris Bergwald, are looking at the case for Jesus, a book by Dr. Brant Petrie, explaining how Jesus claims to be God Himself, and that's what we're seeing in this episode, this this incident from the Gospels that we're we're discussing right now from Mark chapter two and other the other Gospels as well, well where Jesus claims the authority to forgive sins. Father, just um, as getting back into this, then just curious before you continue with your explanation, do you remember? It's been a while since I read Dr. Petrie's book myself. Um, does he talk at all about how those modern scholars that we talked about at the earlier in this episode, how they uh interpret this passage to interpret a way that Jesus is claiming to be because it seems it seems pretty obvious, pretty clear how this is a divine claim. Do you recall out of curiosity, does he give how others interpret this in such a way that Jesus isn't claiming to be God? Do you remember? You know, a lot of uh, he makes the point that a lot of people just ignore this evidence. Gotcha. Okay. Um for whatever reason, you know, okay. it's not, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't confirm their theory, their approach. And so it's just conveniently yep. shoved aside. Okay. So anything else to say about this passage, then how it's illustrating Jesus' divinity? I would just add that, you know, the scribes say that he's committing blasphemy. <clears throat> well, Jesus faces that charge all throughout his life. In fact, that's what he's crucified for. Mm-hmm. You know, he's, he's executed, uh, on a charge of blasphemy. Right. And so, 
you can say that Jesus wasn't God, but based on that historical fact, you can't say that he didn't claim to be God. Right. Right. Okay. Okay. Um, next passage. What's the next one that you want to dive into? There's a, there's an episode in which Jesus is teaching in the temple and it's toward the end of his public ministry. It's in, uh, Matthew 22 and Mark 12, uh, in which he's he's raising this question about a a, a messianic title. So, um, the Messiah, as we've as we've talked about in the past, was expected at the time of Jesus. He's going to be this great ruler over Israel. You know, in the 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 line of King David, a great king. He's going to be one that God sends to restore and rebuild His people. Okay, and then Jesus is teaching about this. And then he raises a question. So this is Mark 12, 35 forward. As Jesus taught in the temple, he said, how can the scribes say that the Messiah is the son of David? David himself, inspired by the Holy Spirit, declared, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I put your enemies under your feet. So he's quoting, Jesus quotes here, Psalm 110. And he says, David himself calls the Messiah Lord. So how is he his son? So Jesus is sort of dealing with the interpretation of this psalm, Psalm 110, which was one of the predictions of the Messiah. Um, one of the passages in the Old Testament that point to this ruler who is to come. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, And so it's, it, we would do well to look back to that psalm and say, what, what's he getting at? What's going on here? Okay. In Psalm 1-2, we read about... 110, uh, 110 oh, right? Sorry, 110. God says to uh, this Lord, this ruler, uh, from the womb before the dawn, from the womb of dawn in Hebrew, I begot you. And so uh, David, who wrote the psalm, describes this, this interaction between God and the Messiah. Uh, and then God speaks of, of begetting him, of generating him uh, from the womb of the dawn. In other words, from, from ancient, from before time began. So Jesus points us back to this psalm in order to understand who he is. Now, at the time of Jesus, the scribes started to refer to the Messiah as the son of David, right? So one who is to come. He's going to be the, the son of David, okay. which is to say he's a descendant of King David, Okay. Now that's all that's all fine and good and Jesus is descended from King David right. like as the as the genealogies in Matthew and Luke show but but he's also greater than David right right um and as we see in Psalm 110 it's God who begets this new king this new lord the messiah it's not David um we've shown how Jesus identified himself as as being the messiah Right? right, but here, by referring to this psalm, Jesus is saying more about the Messiah—that he's not just a descendant of David, but he's something divine. Right, he's a, a pre-existent divine figure, begotten by, generated by God Himself. Right, right. Um, and again, Jesus does so by asking a question: How can the scribes say that the Messiah? is the son of David, right? So Jesus, by asking questions, invites his listeners then and his, and his listeners today to consider, to ask, to question, because it's by these questions that Jesus leads to the truth of who he is as God's son. Amen. So um, 
Is there more you want to say about this or should we move on? Okay, great, because we're running out of time. It's funny how that happens. The time just goes, flies by. Flies. So what's what's the third uh, and final passage that you want to look at today? This is a good one. It wasn't the last one. The other ones were terrible. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, this is, uh, but this is a, this is a good one because it actually, uh, it's a passage that, that while it describes and, and showcases Jesus divinity, um, is often used as an objection. You know, it, it's used by some to say, look, Jesus said this. So he's saying he's not God. Uh, but if we read right. it correctly, if, gotcha. we, if we are faithful to what the scripture actually says, we, we show, <laughs> we see how it's a, it's a revelation of Jesus' divinity. And I'm referring to Jesus and the rich young man. Okay. So that account of, of the rich young man who runs up to Jesus and, and asks him, you know, good teacher, what must I do to, to inherit eternal life? Okay. And, uh, and this is different places in the Gospels. Um, we're going to look again at, at Mark's account. So Mark 10, 17 to 22. Okay. Okay. But as a little background... Again, uh, as I quoted earlier, um, hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Okay? So that's the, that's the fundamental piece of Israel's faith, that, that the Lord is one. And that's, that's uh, Deuteronomy 6. And faithful Jews still pray this every day. Okay. Right? So that's insistent. The Lord is one. <clears throat> okay. As he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. Do not kill. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Okay, what's happened so far? This man wants to follow Jesus. He's really excited. He, he says, what, do, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus kind of seems to rebuke him. Right. Right. Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. And that's the piece that people often point to and say, ah, Jesus is saying he's not God. If he were really God, why would he talk about God as if he's somebody else? Yeah. Yeah. He would have said, he would have said yes, you got it right. I am good. In fact, I'm the best. Right. I'm divine. I'm the bomb. I mean, right. yeah, okay. Right. But instead he gets this kind of rebuke. Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. Okay. So we'll get into that. Okay. Jesus then gives him the commandments and he said to him, teacher, all these I have observed from my youth. And Jesus, looking upon him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell what you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. At this saying, his face fell and he went away sorrowful for he had many possessions. Okay. So uh, again, Jesus kind of rebukes him or seems to rebuke him. Why do you call me good? No one is good, but God alone. No one is good, but the one God. You remember that, that passage from Deuteronomy. Hear Israel, the Lord our God is one. Right. One Lord. Right. Okay. But Jesus doesn't say, I'm not good. Right. Okay. Yeah. You know, what does he do here that, that he's done in previous passages that we've looked at? He asks a question. Why do you call me good? Why do you call me good? You know, he's not saying he's not. He's just asking the question, inviting this man to consider the source of his goodness, mm. right? That that man is seeing something and, and, and speaks a truth that's deeper than he realizes. Yes, Jesus, you are good because you are the good one, the one alone who is good. Okay. 
And then, uh, and then notice in Jesus' response to this man, you know, after he's given him the commandments, the man feels like it's still not enough. Okay? And to understand that, we need to look at the, the background of the Ten Commandments, and they're broken down into two sections. Right, right. The, right. Um, uh, the, the first tablet and the second tablet, right? Is that exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and the, the second tablet is what Jesus quotes to this man. Do not kill, do not commit adultery, do not steal, etc. Right. But remember what's on that first tablet? Remember what those first three commandments are all about? They're about God himself. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. About serving God. And so Jesus has given him the second tablet, but when, then when he asks for more, he doesn't say, you know, um, do not commit idolatry, honor the Sabbath day, these right. commandments that pertain to God. Instead, he says, follow me. Right. So he puts himself in the place mm. of God in the commandments. Okay. Right. That's what the young man is missing. You know, he, he honors God or tries to honor God with the commandments. Now Jesus is saying the way to honor God, the way to keep those first three commandments is to follow me. Okay. So he's putting himself in God's position within the Ten Commandments. Exactly. Okay. Okay. Exactly. Okay. Anything else with this passage, Father? We've got about two minutes left. I think that... Um, that this passage, like others, shows Jesus' strategy, right? That that Jesus gives hints, he gives clues, but he doesn't force faith. He doesn't force people to acknowledge that he is God. He raises the questions for people, and he lets them come to their own conclusions. And sometimes people come to the wrong conclusions, you know? Right. Like people who read this passage today and say, oh, he's, he's not claiming, he's, he's claiming the opposite. He's saying, I'm not God. No, that's not what he's saying but he's not going to force you to see it if you don't want to see it. Why does he do that? Why, why, I mean, he wants us to follow him. Why doesn't he want me to see it if I don't want to see it? Yeah. That really gets at the, the essence of, of what it means to, what it means to have faith. Okay. And, uh, and that faith is meant to be a free response, a Mm. free clinging to the God who reveals himself. Um, you know, God could force himself on us, but then, uh, but then he wouldn't, then we wouldn't be the sorts of creatures he wants us to be, which are, are free beings who choose to love him. Okay. Right. And God's whole purpose in creating us is for us to be happy with him, to love him. Um, but love isn't love if it's forced. Right. So he, he wants us to seek after him. He's already seeking for us, but he wants us to seek after him as well. Absolutely. Okay. Yes. Father, we got about one minute left. How would you summarize this chapter then? I would say that, um, that Jesus' words speak to us today, just like they did to, to people of, those, of his time. And, and, uh, and they're not meant to just be absorbed and sort of dissected, but they're meant to be prayed and they're meant to be lived, you know. And so it's a, it's a good thing for us to consider as we as we hear these things and as we move forward in our own friendship with Christ. Um, yeah, who do I say you are? Who do I say you are, Lord? Here's who I say you are. Show me more. Show me more of, of how you are divine. Show me more of how you're present to me in the way that only God can be present to me. Uh, and it's in this way that the Gospels become not just you know historical documents, which they are, and not just true statements, but but really the 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 food for our our relationship and our journey with him in this life. Amen. And that will wrap up this episode of Ignition. Again, you can email us, ignition at sfcatholic.org, or tweet at us at sfdiocese. Use the hashtag Ignition with any thoughts, questions, or ideas for future episodes. Until next time, dear listeners, may Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Amen.